There's no doubt that software-defined wide area networking is one of the most hyped technologies we've seen in recent history. From cost savings to unprecedented simplicity, no claims seem to be off limits when it came to controller-driven networks. Now that it's 2019 and some of that dust has settled, we wanted to have a chat with a couple people who've been in the thick of it and know what it's really like to design, implement, and operate software-defined wide area networks. So before getting started, I want to take a moment to mention today's sponsors. Sponsoring today's episode is Viavi Solutions. Viavi's observer platform helps you better understand what's happening on your network by focusing not on a bunch of random KPIs, but combining KPI data with end-user experience validation to give you an accurate and robust view of end-user network performance. Also sponsoring today's episode is Path Solutions. Want to make network glitches disappear? Path Solutions Total View makes root cause network troubleshooting easy. You'll hear more about each of these great sponsors later on in the show. Joining us on today's program is Jason Gintert and Jed Casey. This is a first-time appearance for both of them, and we're excited that you guys are able to join us today. So maybe before jumping into the topic at hand, it might help our listeners to understand your perspective and experience when it comes to SD-WAN. Jason, why don't you kick it off for us and explain how you're involved with SD-WAN solutions? Sure thing. Thanks, Jordan, and thanks for having me on the show. It's a, a real pleasure to be on. Uh, so I'm Jason Gennert from WAN Dynamics. So WAN Dynamics is a managed service provider, managed and professional services provider, focused on networking. And uh, when we launched initially, we uh, we launched as a managed, uh, a managed service provider around SD-WAN. That was our primary focus. We've since branched out into a few other areas of expertise on networking, but uh, SD-WAN is still a very big focus for us. And uh, uh, we've been doing that for about three years now. Excellent. Uh, thanks, Jason. Now, Jed, how about yourself? What's your experience with SD-WAN? I'm Jed Casey. And um, I work for a uh, nationwide uh, mid-sized enterprise uh, healthcare organization with about 400 sites. And uh, we spent a little bit over a year um, planning and preparing for an SD-WAN deployment. And then uh, during the past couple months, we've been actually going through that deployment. So you're literally in the thick of things. Absolutely. Like right now. <laughs> you're not going to get any fresher experience than this. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, so Jason, uh, specifically, I want to start with you because you're in the role of being consultative around these things. Uh, sure. what, what do you think the use case is? Uh, what do you think is the, is the, like, the, the primary driver? When should someone be considering SD-WAN as a solution? Well, I think that there's, there's many different reasons for SD-WAN, at least uh, the customers we've come across, that it seems like each one of them has their own unique use case. Um, I, I think uh, some of the, the primary use cases would revolve around MPLS replacement. So as clients move their uh, application workloads to the cloud, um, MPLS networks that they've uh, utilized previously make less and less sense. Their applications don't live in a, inside a private network any longer. They live out on, on the public internet and public cloud services. So with that, they need more dynamic ways to get to those cloud services. And uh, you know, SD-WAN it, uh, does a great job by uh, being able to steer that traffic, optimize it, and uh, when you need private connectivity, on the fly, be able to create private overlays between locations, be able to create private connectivity between your sites. Um, and the ability to continuously monitor your path so that you can uh, circumvent blackout conditions or brownout conditions on links um, are some of the, the key reasons uh, that we see a lot of folks look. But I, I mean, I, 
I, I think that there's uh, a multitude. I mean, there's, like I said, so many different reasons that, that we see people switch. Some of them as simple as uh, just more monitoring in their environment and more control of applications. Um, just being able to see what apps are in use and be able to steer those applications to their appropriate, appropriate link. Um, you know, things like uh, social media or uh, streaming services, being able to dump those out and do a local breakout on a, a broadband connection, but, you know, preserve their uh, dedicated links for their, their truly critical business apps. So I think there's a lot of use cases out there, um, and it varies for sure. I mean, I think that's probably a lot of what led to a bunch of the hype, right? Is the fact that there were so many potential use cases, so many, so many points. But one of the, one of the detractors, or one of the things that I've heard people say is that essentially SD WAN is just glorified DMVPN. So, so what do you think about that statement? Do you think that that's true, or do you think there's more wrapped around SD WAN um, that makes it a differentiator? I mean, I guess my the the reason why I bring this up is because I think about Cisco's initially initial foray into SD WAN, which is iWAN, which was taking DMVPN, wrapping a couple extra services around it. Um, I guess you can call it a controller, dropping that in the network. Like, I mean, like it was it was a little rough, right? Um, obviously, they have matured quite a bit through acquisition and picking up the Vitella product. But like the it, it really was for them just DMVPN with a couple extra services. And I think that's kind of been in people's heads. So uh, I don't know, uh, Jason or Jed uh, or even Yvonne. I mean, <laughs> um, what, what's your thought about that statement? Is it DMVPN? Is it just the same thing that we've always been doing? Or is there something different about SD-WAN? I think there's fundamentally something different and it, it, it's not any one thing. So it's not just VPN. Um, it's uh, application steering, it's bandwidth aggregation, it's um, WAN remediation techniques like forward error correction or jitter buffering and TCP optimization. So not only is it uh, you know able to load balance traffic across multiple links, but it's actually able to overcome and correct um, problems that we've traditionally had. I think you know, one of the the, um, the killer applications is being able to run voice over broadband links. We haven't been able to do that until now because you're you're leveraging forward error correction and jitter buffering to overcome um, you know packet loss and, and jitter across uh, across those paths. So um, I think it's much more. I think to say that it's just VMVPN but glorified, I think is is an oversimplification. And I would add to that as well that. Uh, you know, most SD-WAN platforms include the, the automation and orchestration elements built into it. And uh, especially for a lot of uh, enterprises, this may actually be their first uh, foray into orchestration and having, you know, centralized uh, policy management and uh, uh, perhaps more importantly, consistency across all their sites. Yeah, I think one of those, one of the things about SD-WAN that is... You know, like, I, I think I think there's some validity to the argument that it's a bunch of, of technologies we've already had wrapped together, right? But, I mean, you can say that about any advancement about the way. I mean, like, unless you're changing TCP IP, we're still routing <laughs> packets the same way, right? Yep. And, 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 and so, yeah, it's piecing a bunch of this stuff together, but I think it's the accessibility of it. So I think it's we finally got the orchestration system down uh, solid enough that we can do this and make it accessible to people other than, you know, people who don't have large network engineering staffs, right? They can go, they can buy a product that does a lot of these things for them under the hood. It works most of the time for those things. I mean, yeah, there's people out there who've had, you know, um, brilliant networkers working for them who've been able to do this for a long time. 
but they've had to write a lot of one-off stuff to make it happen or super complex configurations. And that's just not the case here. Like you said, it's just, I, I configure it in my controller. It tells it all to do it. And because of this central visibility, I mean, this is the thing that I always point to is the controller is what changes the game because it's not 50 nodes all operating on their own that I have to make act in a coordinated fashion. I'm telling one thing to tell the 50 nodes how to act on their own to act in a coordinated fashion. I don't have to come up with all the logic about all the little knobs and switches and dials that have to be turned to make router A make the same logic decision that router X, you know, five hops down the line is going to make and keep all that consistent based off of, you know, some, you know, unique bespoke configuration on each and every device. I tell the controller Absolutely. This and, is what uh, I want you to do. And this is the big difference. Definitely. And having uh, the, the orchestration in place through the controller, um, you know, in my case, uh, my company has approximately 3,500 people. And there's really only two people, me and my boss, that know anything about the network for the whole company. Super and common I, story. I think that's pretty typical. Yeah, and, you know, in the past, uh, pretty much did have to go device by device, router by router. And of course, there's ways to script that, and I've done that. But it's it's nice having it just already built into the platform. Yeah, now, I agree. I, yeah, and, and I also think that that might have been why some of the early um, you, you know attempts Cisco might have had with IWAN, uh, you know, it might not have, it didn't succeed as much as you know like a like a Viptela or Bello Cloud because you had to build so many of those pieces by hand. I mean the. I remember looking at the manual for, for IWAN at one point, it's like 900 some pages to deploy. And I've talked about when people talk about deploying it, they talk about deploying it in phases like, Oh, which phase are you in as far as, you know, de- deploying that. And just the, the, the complexity was, was too great. So now, um, you know, the ease of use, you know, things like zero touch provisioning uh, on, on a wide area network endpoint. I mean, uh, the, yeah, and, and all the things that Jed mentioned about, the, the controller and the, the, the automation that it brings. Uh, yeah, no doubt. That's that's one of the biggest values of, of the, the platform for sure. Well, and I know um, one of the big compelling things when I implemented an SD-WAN solution, you know, we had had leadership in our IT organization for years saying, we have these backup broadband connections out there and they're getting faster and faster and faster. Um, and, and they're more reliable. I use this at home and it works great and we've got it out there and it's backup and we only use this broadband when our primary circuit, typically an MPLS circuit, goes down. Bring me a solution that will allow me to use all this bandwidth. And we as a networking team pre-SD-WAN kept saying, we can't administer that. Like, if it's even if it's technically doable, we have 400 hospitals and, and the five of us can't make that work and keep the rest of the network running. So, so true. I mean, yeah. it was, it just like, is there technology that will do this? Yes, but we would have to, okay, so we just won't do wireless anymore. And, and, <laughs> you know, we won't do our, our ice initiative or any, any other thing like that, because all we'll be doing is fighting with the WAN. So right. um, that, that's so, a huge benefit and drive. Yeah. And I remember being in the service provider world where customers would just um, expect, okay, you know, I, I've got a dedicated circuit out there, build me a backup. And yep. that consisted of 
okay, you know, if you want to do it with a broadband circuit, I've got to get a GRE tunnel back to an aggregator. I've got to run a dynamic routing protocol. I've got to tighten up those timers and figure out how all that failover works to make it work, you know, in your environment. And there's the complexity and, it, you know, exactly to your point, Yaman, it is so much work to maintain and build that. Uh, just the care and feeding that goes into it traditionally, that what's really changed here is that, that those, those mechanisms are automatic and they're just inherent. It just understands... Uh, which paths you want to use and, and steers that traffic where it needs to go. So we've mentioned a lot of the pros, and I, I think one of the pros that I, I think has been hinted at, but we haven't really talked about it in any detail, is, is cost savings. Now, if you listen to any pitch on SD-WAN from the vendor, they're going to tell you just how much money you're going to save. Like it, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be uh, wheelbarrows full. Like, you know, you were going to save all of the money, all of it. You give us one wheelbarrow and you'll get back to, I promise. Now, now, (laughs) I've always thought that this claim was a bit overhyped personally, but I would love to hear your guys' opinion on this. Is there cost savings in SD-WAN? And if so, where are they? Um, And and if not, why not? I I think that's going to be very uh, environment specific. Mm -hmm. For us in particular, for my company, um, we we did not save any money going to SD-WAN. That, that was the initial goal, and we did a pretty close, I'd say, break even to what we were doing before. But in return, we got faster and more reliable connectivity, which pays for itself. This, this first time a, a site, their primary circuit goes down and they're actually surviving on a, like a backup LTE connection, it, it pays for itself right there. Yeah, absolutely yeah. agree. And I tell customers, you know, there is so much, uh, so many expectations around saving money uh, from uh, people we work with, the customers that come to us. And we have to temper that uh, right off off the the rip, right out of the gate to say, you may not, you may end up cost neutral or cost plus, but you'll end up with a better network. And it all depends on where you're coming from. If you're coming from a dedicated MPLS network and you're moving over to, uh, you know, maybe backing off, you know, one of those dedicated circuits and going down to one dedicated one broadband circuit, um, you know, you may save a little bit of money. But if you're going from a, 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 a you know, a broadband wide area network and you're expecting to somehow uh, magically save save money by moving to it and, and get the redundancy, you know, one of the applications we thought would be killer for SD-WAN is retail. And it turns out retailers are so cheap. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm generalizing, but a lot of the ones we've come across, when we, we show them that, that quote and say, this is how much it's going to cost to do SD-WAN, they're like, how much? Yeah, no, I'm not doing that. So, uh, you know, four hours downtime or eight hours downtime is acceptable. We'll, we'll, we'll live with that. So it depends on the requirements as well. So what, what's your, you know, risk factor? What, what, how much pain can you take when, when it comes to having a site down? Man, you, you just like ripped out from underneath them, the feet of every SD WAN pitch I've ever heard. Because retail <laughs> is like the use case. Like no, retail is, is like the place. And I agree with you. I 100% agree with you because I think it. What what you guys said is absolutely true. Because I, I think it's like a bit disingenuous. Because those t- the first say when they when giving this pitch is that you'll save a ton of money because you'll be able to go away from your MPLS circuits and use you know DIA or broadband or LTE or whatever. But then they say, oh, guess what? With all that money you saved, you can buy three to make sure that you get the same performance you get out of your MPLS circuit, right? Because everyone's afraid of the SLA thing, right? So I get an SLA from my MPLS provider, which doesn't actually guarantee me the performance, but at least I have someone who's promised me the performance. So 
that's great. When I go to DIA or if I go to, like, I don't have that promise at all. And so now I have to make that promise to my business. And the way that I do that is through redundancy. And from a, from a customer standpoint, I can say too that it's it's been my experience that SLAs hold very little meaning. <laughs> yeah, and I a hundred percent agree with that. It's definitely a perception issue, um, but the reality is is that an SLA does give you a little bit of cover with your management. True. Where when you may, you're the one who makes the decision to move away from an SLA, you have removed your little bit of cover, <laughs> right? Like you just have. And so Absolutely. you're going to want to rep, you know, replace that with something else. And, you know, it's easy to make the pitch. Hey, yeah, we may not have an SLA, but I have two diverse paths with two different carriers through two different completely, di- you know, whatever networks. But I was only paying for one circuit before. Now that one circuit's replaced with two. Now, both of those circuits are cheaper than what my one circuit was, but how much am I really saving when I have to put in two circuits to replace the one? And the other thing is, is everyone's eyes get wide open when you can see the cost per you know, megabyte or gigabyte of, of throughput, um, gigabit, I should say, um, of, of throughput on a circuit. Um, and they say, oh, wow, I'm paying you know, uh, you know, $100 for this circuit you know, that gets me you know, X and I can pay $100 and get 10X uh, of DIA. And they immediately do that. <laughs> like, they're like, oh, I can get way more bandwidth. Well, now you're not saving money. So like I would say you can save money, but it requires a lot of discipline. Circuits have to replace, be replaced. Well, first you have to start with an MPLS network. Then you have to replace one for one. If you have a 10 meg circuit today, you're going to replace it with another 10 meg circuit. And then you can't replace it with two. <laughs> like you've got to replace it with one. If any of those don't sound right, you're probably going to start cutting into your cost savings. And that's okay for the reasons that Jason said, is that you get such a better network. It's a, it's a more robust network, a more flexible network. Um, it, you're not going to be tied into it, the, the vendor and the transport independence is a big deal as well. And so there's all these benefits you get out of it, which give you immense value, but you may end up paying the same or paying a little bit more, but it's okay. But the cost savings, I think, is one of those ones that I, I'm glad to hear, at least that my assumptions are correct. <laughs> Jed, when you say that we didn't save any money, uh, right. like, that's what I'm assuming is that at the, at the end of it, you're not really going to save any money. You're going to end up with a better network. Well, and I think, I think as you think about savings, there are all kinds of soft costs that you just can't put a number on. One of those is, is engineering time. The other is downtime. And, uh, and, and one of the things that I saw personally with an SD-WAN deployment was that out at sites where we had users running Outlook, still connecting to an exchange server that was back at, at the corporate headquarters, which I know we're all using Office 365 anymore. There's nobody using Exchange, nobody using Lotus Notes. It doesn't happen. I wish. And, um, and, but but one of the things that we saw was like mailbox load time went from, for some users, from like three to four minutes where you had an administrative assistant that had 10 different shared calendars loaded to 30 seconds. And when you talk about increasing user experience and application, and you can measure it in minutes not milliseconds, it's a huge deal. So, yeah, we, we may not if you're not canceling circuits, you're not saving money. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what the cost of your weigh-in really is going to be. But when you talk about user experience and you talk about productivity and survivability and all those things, you're just going to get so much more bang for that buck. And that's another thing too. This may be a topic that we discuss more, but uh, that's definitely one way to sell the whole idea to upper management is, uh, because, you know, like you said, that's one of the, the soft costs that you don't really 
uh, it's, it's hard to define or, um, you know, put down hard numbers, but the, uh, well, you get back and in increase productivity, um, hopefully. <laughs> well, and another way to manage that too, is if you have a problematic site or things like that, you can always, you know, look at saying, Hey, there's this new technology out there. We've had tons of trouble with this site or these sites. How about we throw it out there and we do a proof of concept and we, and we see if things are better. Um, and if you do try it and it's not better, don't do it, right? I mean, but in in so many circumstances, your users are going to have such a better experience once they see it. Like when we put it in, we had four or five sites and they were telling their peers and we were getting pushed by the business to implement faster because they were seeing the benefits. I had the exact same experience. Um, uh, we started off with a small proof of concept of about uh, 15 of our 400 sites and had the, the, the exact same experience that you just described. Yep. Yeah. We have a great story from one of our customers that, that they're a mining company and they have mines that are in the middle of nowhere. Like literally there's no address to order a circuit to. Um, and some of these places, they, they, you know, they have aging copper infrastructure that if it rains, it's that that mine is down for two days. You know, that, that there's no one coming out to fix that, and there's no broadband option for them. So for for them, really, what it, it, we we put in SD WAN and uh, you know attached it to their uh, their MPLS network where they had T ones, and then the 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 backup was 4G or fixed wireless, whatever we could find out there. And uh, again, user experience, I mean, to Yvonne's point, it, it went, you know, up, now all of these minds that have gotten word of this, that, that, you know, the trial, the POC at these locations, they're like, how do we get that? You know, and then that's now we're expanding that POC and deploying it at the, at the mines. And I think it's going to work its way up into corporate as well. You know, finding the little use cases where you, you know, fix a problem, um, it, it, it just works its, it works its way into so many other parts of the business once they see all the things it can do. This is one of my favorite use cases, actually, when we talk about SD-WAN, because <clears throat> I, can, I can tell you the number of times that I've been in a, in a project where a new building was added or a new site or a new something, and, uh, and, and the business comes to you and it's like, okay, like we're ready to go. Money's all yours. How long is it going to take you? It's like, well, I can have the gear here in a couple of weeks. Um, but you're not going to have connectivity for 90 days at best. Six months, yeah. right? And, like, and, if, and if it's really yeah. far or really rural, it, it could be, like you said, months, possibly even years, depending on how far it has to be run. I mean, it, it gets really complex. And so being having like all of these flexible transport options that I can stand up a site on maybe what I consider backup normally, and then when the new or the, the appropriate or the primary service comes in, I literally just plug it in <laughs> and it starts running across that. And I don't have to change a thing. I mean, this is the whole overlay underlay thing. But like, I mean, if you have, if you have 4G service, you are literally, I mean, if you, if you don't mind stalking a router, you're like a couple hours from that site being online. Like it's, 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 it's not, you know, it, it, the, the time that you can respond to a changing business is, is really dramatically different. And, and not every business has that problem, but I've been in that position. I mean, I've stood up, uh, I stood up a number of years ago, a call center on LTE. <laughs> like it was like, Oh, we're taking a bunch of calls. So like all the, all the voice was local, but like, it was like, I have 200 people running across an LTE, like my fi <laughs> connected to a router right now because that was literally all I could do. And we needed it done. Um, I wouldn't want that bill. <laughs> no, it was really, <laughs> Dude, that was definitely was not cheaper. 
No, it was not cheaper, but the <laughs> business was all right paying for it because it got the job done. Imagine being able to say that regularly. Yeah, I can I can put something out there and have it done in a week or two, or you know, if we stock it, I can have it done by tomorrow. Um, you know, like it, it's 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 really a really solid answer. So I want to kind of move the conversation um, to engineers. So I mean, like engineers love to nitpick and look at the things. What are what are the what are the what are the intricacies? What are some of the things that engineers should be looking at? What are the things that don't come in the glossy, <laughs> right? That says SD WAN is fantastic and you're going to save you know your wheelbarrows of money. Like what 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 are some of those like uh, interaction points or things like that that you've run into that that people should be considering when they're thinking about SD WAN? One of the first things that I think of is um, a lot of times when you're deploying SD-WAN, you're going to be replacing equipment, uh, usually you know, the, a location router. And uh, you need to be sure that uh, it's going to integrate with your existing network. For instance, if you're running, uh, you know, if, if previously you were a Cisco shop running, say, you know, EIGRP, if you buy a, a new appliance from from somebody other than Cisco, chances are it's not going to run EIGRP, so you might have to switch to OSPF, for instance. Or no protocol at all, yeah. which is not uncommon for a lot of these solutions. Mm-hmm. I've run into solutions that require being inline. So rather than being routed to, they want to be a middle box. And mm-hmm. there's nothing inherently wrong with any of those things, but it can completely change the way you build your network. Definitely true. And it, we've had to look at networks in a different way and, and, and talk engineers through the way that they have got to look at it because you have to you have to see things in terms of the underlay and the overlay so in some cases you know if you've got a a public uh, network and a private network so you got an mpls and you've got internet access and you want to use leverage sd-wan you really have to design four different networks the public overlay the private overlay the public uh underlay and the and the, and the private underlay You've got to plan all of those things and how they're all going to connect to one another and, and how your routing policy is going to end up when you're done. And sometimes you have to do redistribution from one to the other. You know, uh, so, you know, in the data center, for example, you'll have to aggregate all of your overlay routes and then and then redistribute those maybe into into your underlay somehow over there in that data center with BGP or OSPF. So um, there is a lot of careful consideration to your routing policy that you have to take into account when you, whenever you de- deploy this. And uh, a different perspective, the overlay adds adds you know this wrinkle that most network engineers haven't had to work with before. Well, right, and I think. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, a lot of times when you when you start talking about overlay and underlay and multiple connections um, and redistribution, th- there are complexities there. And yes, there's an orchestrator to help you manage all those complexities once you get the solution installed. To some but degree. One of the, to, to some degree. And I say to some degree because there's always an edge. This is this is my and I'm right. trying not to get on my soapbox. But when we talk about controller-based networks, getting getting rid of engineers is one of those things that like everyone's all worried about. But until we don't have an edge on the network, it, like we're not getting rid of anybody because the edge has become way more complex. And so yeah, we're we're touching less devices because I can deploy 50 devices. But the way those 50 devices interact with the rest of my network now just got 10 times harder. Because of exactly what Jason just brought up, I have four different networks that are now in all interacting, and possibly more, depending on how many overlays you have and, and what type of security I apply between different overlays and VRFs and if I have private. Well, it gets really complex. And so, like, the, the idea that um, 
simplicity is a trade-off, right? Like you're going to simplify something. Some things are going to become harder. Um, sorry, I, I completely. No, no, no. It's, it's fine. <laughs> but well, well, where I was going with that is that one, there is an aspect of policy that is going to be more complex. And what a lot of times what's going to happen is you're going to get in and start filling around with your network and you're going to find out that you've got some routing inconsistencies that were hidden before that are now becoming a problem because of the way you're interconnecting all these WAN circuits. And so you're going to have to pay close attention to your BGP policy, especially if you're running an MPLS network and you're, you're going to have to pay attention to your route tables and, and just be sure that you're redistributing and blocking and tagging and filtering um, correctly or, or, or still the packets are just going to go round and round and round. I mean, we still, <laughs> you know, we still need loop free paths and we have to make sure that that they are loop free, right? Absolutely, and that's what what we did in our environment because we had our original MPLS layer three VPN WAN, and then we had our uh, proof of concept SD WAN cloud, and then that's still going away as we're doing our final SD WAN. So we've basically got these three different WAN environments that we stitch all together with BGP, and then yep. we have to make sure we do the filtering so that they don't advertise into each other, things like that. I think this yep. is a Great time to take a second to talk about our sponsors, who are both solutions that give visibility and, and monitoring to these problems. So let's, uh, let's take a second to hear about them, and uh, we'll be right back. Sponsoring today's episode is Viavi Solutions. Viavi is an industry leader in the application and network management space. Now, I've had the opportunity to see what they've been working on, and they're taking what I believe to be a very useful approach in providing engineers and administrators with truly actionable data, rather than just a conglomeration of stats and PKI data with nothing to help correlate that information. I don't believe it's any secret that network troubleshooting is broken. Enterprise Management Associates states that 40% of performance problems are first detected by end users and customers. Forrester says that 50% or more of end user issues are never even reported. These stats are staggering. I think just about everyone agrees that network troubleshooting isn't going to go away, but it has to get more effective as applications, networks, and systems continue to grow in complexity. Viavi is addressing this issue in their observer platform, which provides user-centric performance monitoring through synthetic testing from the end user's perspective. This data is then analyzed, correlated, and presented to you as an end user experience score that often helps you head off issues before they're even noticeable to anyone on your network. This process of boiling down many data points into actionable and measurable end-user experience helps pinpoint the source of issues for accurate troubleshooting across your networks, servers, clients, and applications. To learn more, visit viavisolutions.com slash network collective. Consider a new approach to network monitoring with end-user end experience scoring and KPIs with context not just more data. If you go there, you can sign up for a free Enterprise Protocols poster, which is a visual guide to the protocols and their relationships across the OSI model. Now, also, Viavi is doing something really great for our listeners. If you go to the page I just mentioned, which is viavisolutions.com slash network collective, you can also enter to win one of four Network Collective community memberships. If you've been on the fence about joining Network Collective, this is a great opportunity for you to get a chance to get in on all of that valuable content at no cost to yourself. Also sponsoring today's episode is Path Solutions. Everybody loves a good mystery, except for when it's a problem in your network. We all run networks that are incredibly smart. 
Each switch or router contains an amazing amount of information about the network's health and operations. Sadly, most network monitoring packages only go skin deep with understanding all that stuff that's happening, maybe pinging some devices or querying some usage data from a few select interfaces. This means that every time the network glitches, you're left in the dark and have to manually log into two devices to assemble clues and to find out what happened. What's worse is if the problem is not happening when you're looking, chances are you're not going to find it at all. Anytime you have to tell a user that you don't know what caused the problem, it means you don't have enough visibility into your network. You're being held responsible for the entire network, shouldn't you also have visibility to match? If you knew everything your switchers and routers knew, you could solve problems before users even knew that there was a problem to begin with. Path Solutions TotalView is designed to automatically dig deep into network devices to learn what they know about your network's performance. 19 error counters, QoS statistics, configuration, and performance information is collected from every interface across the entire infrastructure. This means that TotalView knows about any dropped, buffered, or mishandled packet anywhere in the network at any point in time. With their plain English network prescription engine and their path mapping capabilities, they can tell you exactly where and why a problem occurred, so resolution is both quick and easy. An example report might be, the VoIP call was dropped at 2.37 p.m. because the Finance 2 switch interface number 12 dropped 12% of its packets due to a cabling fault. This means your network is no longer full of mysteries because you know everything your network knows. Try TotalView on your network and it will show you five things about your network that you didn't previously know. Visit www.pathsolutions.com and they will show you how total network visibility will solve the mysteries in your network. So one of the other things I think that we should uh, should touch on, I think this is one of the the big questions when someone considers SD-WAN, is whether or not they should you know do it themselves, go out to the vendor of choice, buy the solution, implement it themselves, and keep full independence. Should they go the path of going through a service provider, right? Because a lot of service providers are now starting to offer this as a as a as a service. You can go to you know whoever your service provider is today and say I want SD-WAN and you buy it. Um, or uh, somewhere in the middle with an MSP. I think that's, uh, you know, like there's there's kind of like three different options in here. Um, Jed, what was your take on that? I mean, since you guys are in this process, you talked about proof of concepts. How did you guys walk through that uh, decision-making process? Well, um, one of the primary motivations was actually cost because um, all of our WAN equipment was beyond, way beyond end of life. And, uh, you know, the company didn't really like the idea of having to upgrade, to pay up front to upgrade 400 locations all at the same time. So the MSP contract offered us uh, more of a, you know, an OPEX model instead of pure CAPEX. So it it wasn't, um, while the manage, while the MSP will handle uh, certain technical aspects, um, it, it was more just uh, a better way to fund it for, for the company. Sure. Now, when you when you say MSP, um, you went with a third-party uh, independent provider, or did you go with a carrier? Uh, a, technically, a carrier. Well, a carrier aggregator is what they are. Um, okay. So they actually do all the uh, acquiring and provisioning of circuits, which actually for us is probably the biggest deal just because we have so many locations. And when you're dealing with, you know, multiple connections to each site, managing that 
really is at least a, a single person's full-time job. Yeah, this is one of the unspoken downsides to transport yeah, independence. Yeah. It's the fact that you actually have to manage this and you don't yeah. just have one throat to choke, as they say. Yeah, so that, that's a huge advantage of, of using an MSP. Right, and you could technically go to a, a carrier broker without using the MSP for the SD-WAN solution. Like you could do that independently as well, but I I understand that. But I mean, like, but you can't get the opex, right? Like, right. we're gonna have to buy everything all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I guess you could lease, right, or something like that. But I mean, like, there's there's always those financial ones are always yeah. interesting conversations because it tends to be whatever I think is the most logical becomes the least mm-hmm. preferred solution every time I'm in that conversation, and that seems to be a, a target that moves every time. So I'm not quite yeah. sure what's yeah. in, what's in fashion today. Is it in fashion <laughs> OPEX or CAPEX or, you know, or, or another advantage with the MSP that we ended up choosing was that we already had um, a contract with them to provide uh, wireless service for our, our smartphones for you know, sales representatives and things like that. And uh, they offered us a deal where they would provide backup LTE at all of our locations and pool all the data together, which is a huge advantage. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, because you're, you're paying for aggregated data. Mm-hmm. How much of the backup you actually end up using. Yeah, that's right. a beautiful thing. So, Jason, what's your take on it, uh, being, uh, being on the implementer side and, and consultative? Like, how, how do you approach that conversation with customers? Of course, I'm a little biased, uh, you know, as far as the MSP uh, portion goes. But but, uh, we actually have assisted customers that said, you know what, I I just want to buy this thing CapEx. I want you to come help me deploy it with a professional services engagement and then just hand it off to me and then I'll take it from here. And we're, you know, we do that as well. Um, Obviously, we prefer to manage it for the customer uh, long term. And especially if you have as many sites as someone like, you know, have as many sites as Jed does, um, just the ongoing uh, care and feeding of that network, you know, it, it, it's a it's a full-time job on, on, on its own. You know, you almost need like a, a dedicated person to just run that and, and keep keep all of that in line. Uh, having a managed service provider, there's a lot to be said for that, not just, um, you know, leveraging their their manpower to, to uh, get things done, but also the expertise that they have. So, um, the, the way we work with it, it's a co-managed model, so the customer can um, control as much as they're comfortable uh, with doing. So uh, if they want to go in and make a change to add a new route or they want to um, you know, add a new business policy or firewall rule, they're welcome to. But uh, up to the point where you know, if they feel uncomfortable making a change or they, they need to do uh, something, you know, something that they're not sure what the outcome will be, they can punt it back to us. And we, and our, you know, our engineers who do this all day can, can hop in and, and make the config change for them. So I think there's a lot of factors that, that uh, come into play. Uh, their internal resources and expertise are a big part of it, but also just, just the, the, the size and breadth of, of the network and being able to, uh, you know, if, if it's a very, very large environment, uh, you, you probably strongly want to consider farming that out to an, an MSP. So I, well, I'm going to ask a question here. It's just like an I'm going to ask a question here that I uh, that I, is a dangerous question only because I don't know the answer. Uh, but <laughs> do you, you guys are, you guys don't care about carriers, right? Like you, you're like that's not your thing. You don't like you don't partner with you know carrier X and every every installation you do is in there. I think that's one of the important things to me. And so you're not yeah, in your head. So I'm I'm going with yeah. the affirmative there. Like we we, we strategically do not um, align with any specific carrier. And there's a few reasons for that. One is just to maintain that independence and not really, ha- you know, uh, prefer anyone. 
Uh, and also, uh, our, one of our sales channels is through um, telecommunications agents. So we let them figure it out. We let them go pick the best solution for the customer based on the customer's needs because they have that relationship with them to figure that out. Uh, and then we just manage the, the network over top for Switzerland when it comes to the access, You know, whatever the customer thinks is best. We will make recommendations and say, you may want to consider this, but ultimately it's up to you and your, your agent yeah. or whomever's selecting that for you. Because I think I think this is one of the big factors in deciding whether or not you go do it yourself, MSP or service provider. One of the things you lose when you go with a service provider solution is that transport independence. Uh, in that, you know, they have a vested interest in you buying circuits from them. And so, you know, if you've run an MPLS network for any time, you understand how sticky that network is. It's very hard to, to move from one MPLS network to another. Transport independence is, is supposed to be the promise of getting out of that stickiness. If I don't like vendor A, I can just start buying circuits through vendor B and eventually phase out vendor A uh, when all my contracts are up and I don't have to have them consistent across the board. And, um, and I can do that without a lot of technical heavy lifting. Exactly. That's, that's been the thing, right? I don't have to stitch a new provider in or, yeah. 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 It's, yeah. it's all kind of figured out in the overlay. And so I think that that's one of those things. And so I, I don't see a lot of uh, big difference between do-it-yourself and an independent MSP when it comes to benefits versus, you know, cons. Much like you said, like if it's too big for you to handle or whatever, go to an MSP. But if you're considering an MSP, you should really be looking at someone who's independent that way. Now, I mean, if you're if you're just all in on a vendor, you think, you know, I don't know, I'm afraid to name a vendor because I, I, whoever it is, I'm going to get someone who agrees with me and 800 people who disagree. But vendor, whatever. If you really like them and you're Ma fine... Bell. <laughs> yeah, we'll go with we'll go with uh, past iterations, but yeah, whatever you're 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 fine with them and whatever, then fine. I mean, because the there's going to be um, advantages just from uh, simplicity of deployment and things like because you're just not going to be managing it at all. You're just going to pay. You're literally going to throw the money across the table and you're going to get SD WAN, which is great and simple, but you lose one of those good good benefits. Yvonne, well, I, a second. Well, well, I was I was going to say mostly what you said about. About oh, transport, we're on the same page, right? And, and how important <laughs> that is. One of the one of the big selling points for me when I was implementing SD WAN was that uh, carrier accountability, because we had issues where we knew a circuit was a problem, like you know, and and we just did not have the tools in place to prove it, um, and and that the the ability to say, hey guys. This consumer grade broadband connection cable, what it, DSL, FiOS, whatever it is, is performing this much better than your MPLS connection that I'm paying ten times more for per month, and that's a problem. But because in the past we we just haven't had the visibility to be able to to call that out, um, and and SDWAN gives you a tool to do that if. If you are buying that service from a carrier, you lose some of that um, bargaining power, I feel like. So, yeah. Yeah, bargaining power. I mean, that's that's another key thing to consider when you're buying a carrier-based SD-WAN. Are they using it as a loss leader to lock you into circuits? And are you getting bundled rates by buying circuits and SD-WAN so that later on, if you choose to maybe remove some of those circuits, they might come back and go, oh, well, you're going to lose this rate that you have today. It's actually going to go up because you're unbundling these things. So you know, be very cautious. And you know, I'd say anybody considering a carrier-based option, ask those things to make sure that's not happening. Because I know, you know Ma Bell is... Uh, 
uh, a big offender of that. Notorious. <laughs> there, there's a reason why every service provider is either already rolled out or in the process of rolling out an SD-WAN solution. They know it. They know it's a threat to their model. They know. They know it's a it's a challenge to the stickiness that they have so far. Carriers, of course, aren't going to go away because we're going to need carriers, but it's going to require them to compete in a completely different way. It's going to cost them much more money um, with that independence. And so, yeah, make sure that you're not getting locked into something. And you know, and again, I don't want to badmouth the carrier solution because you could get an excellent solution from a carrier. I just think that, that you have to understand the motivators there. And make some good decisions about, you know, what you're getting into. Because sometimes that relationship is great. And, I mean, it's really nice just to throw the money across the table and not have to worry about it. Like, there's really something beneficial. Assuming you really don't have to worry about it. And that's that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, on this list, uh, so we're looking at the, the show notes here, the outline we put together for the show. One of the things in here I think is one that's going to get over, overlooked a lot, and that's um, the, way, <laughs> the way that error correction and path selection and data flow happens on the network. Different solutions do this differently, and I'm talking here about specifically about per-flow load balancing versus per-packet load balancing. Um, Forward air correction, like there's a, I think that this is like one of those like hidden landmines in SD-WAN. Um, if you don't understand, it's not something we've thought about before because we really haven't had active, active load balancing a lot. All of a sudden now it comes into to real consideration. How do I move packets across multiple links? Um, and there's implications to going per packet versus per flow. Uh, Jed, did you have this thought or this consideration when you were looking at solutions? Did you, did you um, do these things? We, we had the thought, but um, we, you know, we did the proof of concept and uh, we did that for several months. And, and during that time we put all the locations through, through all the paces, turned all the settings on and off. And uh, basically we, we, we found no appreciable difference between per flow and per packet, at least with the, the platform we ended up going with. You must have excellent latency parity then. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about you, Jason? I mean, have you seen anything here that that has been pitfalls when it comes to per packet versus per flow load balancing? I think it's just making sure, making it clear to the customer that different SD WAN solutions uh, do load balancing in a, in a different fashion. So making sure they they understand because we actually represent a few different uh, SD WAN vendors. Sure. So. You have to make sure that we, we they understand that you know that, that the load balancing may be that this flow will end up here and this flow will end up there if you choose this solution. You may not get the total aggregate bandwidth of both circuits added together unless you have a per packet based. So just making sure that that, that that's clear to the customer and, and they, they understand how it's going to operate in the environment after they're done. That's that's the key to it. Yeah. And another nice thing too is that uh, most SD WAN platforms will let you tweak that setting per application type. You know, you could say yep. uh, general traffic per packet load balancing, no fine, uh, no problem. But uh, voice traffic always prefer the, the currently best performing link, things like that. Yeah. And I, I, and I think that's really what it is. I think the, the pitfall isn't that a solution can't handle it. The pitfall is in if it's implemented incorrectly. Um, and, and I think per packet can get you into trouble. And I, I just, just don't want those things that we've had to deal with before. Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I was interested to see it in the notes here as well. So, um, we're getting close to the end of the show here. And I think that one of the things I'd like to do is like, I mean, like if you were in the shoes of someone who's looking at doing this tomorrow, like maybe pick your top 
two, three things? Like, what are the things that you need to think about that maybe you're not being told? We've covered a lot on this show. Some of it may repeat. Um, but Jason, why don't we start with you and say like, hey, like, you know, like you're, you're thinking about SD-WAN, consider A, B, and C before you do anything else. Um, think about the applications you're using over it. Um, one, you know, the reason I say this is we had a, a client that, that moved from MPLS to SD-WAN, had a pretty heavy uh, VDI environment. And um, when they moved over, the circuits they selected were broadband circuits instead of dedicated uh, internet access or MPLS. Their latency went up and their users noticed. You know, their users said, hey, wait, everything's running a little bit, a little bit slower than it used to. And it did. You use broadband instead of, you know, these dedicated links that have lower latency. So you really have to carefully consider that. Now, for what that customer ended up doing was replacing you know, one of those broadband circuits with, with a dedicated internet access circuit that, that had lower latency, and that, that cleared up the issue. But, um, you know, you can't – that was another one of those. Those guys were trying to force those, the cost savings by, you know, getting ditching their MPLS and going to two broadband circuits, and it, and it just that didn't necessarily uh, help their application much. Um, I think that, that that's one big thing. Also, um, just carefully uh, consider your network design, what's in place today, and, and review over it with the, you know, the, the vendor of choice, the, the MSP provider carrier, and uh, just carefully pour over that, that design. The ar- architecture phase of an SD-WAN network uh, is, is critical. It's huge. You just have to talk through uh, the way things are going to um, differ once you move into that overlay and, ho- and managing traffic there. Um, so just understand all of those things. There's been a few surprises that customers just, you know, they got to, they got into the, the middle of it and, realized, and and said to themselves, I didn't know it was going to work this way. Uh, you know, we might have deployed it differently if, if we had known. So um, sometimes there's some surprises there if you don't take a, a close look. I agree with that. And um, speaking of, like, you know, traffic patterns, a lot of enterprises still run on the classic, um, you know, internal applications only everything's backhauled to a data center but at some point in the future they might be looking towards more uh, cloud services and uh, not all sd-wan platforms will support a local internet breakout which is not necessarily required but for cloud-based applications you will certainly see a, a increase in performance if you can go to the internet directly instead of having it backhauled Go ahead and cross the link a couple times. Does it make right. sense? <laughs> Got that. Uh, well, guys, uh, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, I think this was a great conversation. I think this is a good place to end it here. Uh, I think that we probably could do five, six, eight, ten of these. <laughs> like, SD-WAN is one of those topics that I think is uh, is both very interesting and uh, has been because of the hype. Um, it's it's nice to have some some gravity, right? Some some people are like, uh, yeah, this is this is the way that really is. It is a good solution. I think that's what I heard today. It is a good solution. Like there's there's places where it fits. It makes a ton of sense. Um, but the the glossy material may or may not be you know a hundred percent accurate, <laughs> and, and you really should consider those things. Uh, so so before we before we close out the show completely, uh, I'd like to give uh, everyone an opportunity to share uh, where people might be able to find you if they wanted to continue the conversation or follow you, or they just, you know, they think that, you know, you sound fantastic and you're really smart and I want to hear more from you. So, so Chet, why don't we start with you? Where can people find you online? All right. I'm on Twitter at uh, wax underscore tracks and uh, on LinkedIn as Jed Casey. And I maintain my own blog at uh, neckercube.com 
where by the time this is published, I plan to have a post sort of supporting this episode. <laughs> this conversation. There's also some great resources on your blog you've released uh, over the past year that have gotten a lot of attention. Uh, CCIE flashcards and all kinds of interesting, uh, really, really useful uh, things. So please go check out the website. Uh, there's, there's a lot of great content there. Um, Jason, how about yourself? Where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jay Ginnert. Uh, LinkedIn is also a good place for me. I'm pretty pretty active there as well. And uh, you can find more about uh, all the things we do at WAN Dynamics at wandynamics.com. So that's just W-A-N-D-Y-N-A-M-I-C-S.com. I've heard nothing but great things. So, uh, so yeah, I should also recommend that as well. Yvonne, it's been a little while. We've taken a break yeah. over, the, over the Christmas season. Yeah. So, so I, it's important that people know where to find you because they might have forgotten in the past few weeks. Oh, <laughs> bless their hearts. <laughs> uh, they can find me at Sharp Network on Twitter. Um, I do still have a blog, um, esharp.net. I have all kinds of posts in my head that need to get out and on to uh, the interwebs. So maybe sometime in 2019, um, that will happen. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I'm Jordan Martin at BC Jordo on, on Twitter. I also have a blog that's severely behind, um, probably not even worth going. Although I have some ideas in my head as well. I'm working through a project right now at work where I'm standing up both SD access and Viptela and both pretty I would say, you know, Viptela is less fresh than SD access, but some big gaps in the documentation that I've had to kind of like, piece through. So I'm excited about actually having some content that might be able to be written somewhere in my free time. We'll see. We'll see if that ever happens. <laughs> I didn't uh, know you had that anymore. I don't. I really don't. I have great <laughs> aspirations of having free time and then it just never happens. So uh, if you like this episode, there are many, many more like it at thenetworkcollective.com. Uh, we are in lots of different places online, but that's where I would start. Um, if you're just starting with us now, you're listening to this as an audio only show for the past year and a half, we've had audio and video. So there's a lot of back content that if you like video, that's not going anywhere. So you can go check it out. Uh, we're still releasing short takes on video. So that's all that stuff's on Vimeo. Uh, we're on iTunes and all the regular podcast places. Uh, we're on Twitter at net collective PC. We'd love to have conversations with you there. Uh, engage with us there. We're on LinkedIn and Facebook and just about anywhere else online. You can think about finding us. Uh, but like I said, the best place to start is thenetworkcollective.com. That's where all of our content, all of our links, you can find us there. Uh, and I think that's it for today. So thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next time.